This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Crack that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Imagine going from pizza delivery boy to meeting the prime minister. What were your reflections on that day of coming to Downing Street, Ben? I'm going to be honest, it was one of the most memorable moments of my entire life because it's the sort of thing that you see on the telly a lot. And as a kid, especially growing up in the West Midlands, it's just sort of unfathomable. In today's Repost episode, I'm joined by the founder and chief executive of Gymshark, Ben Francis, and their chief brand officer, Noel Mack. They're the brains behind one of the most iconic fitness brands in the UK, Gymshark. We dive into that extraordinary meeting with the Prime Minister and their bold vision for the future of Gymshark. Since this episode aired, they've actually opened their first IRL, in real life, store on Regent Street. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear the clues along the way. This was the first episode of our third season of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. And I'm particularly thankful to Ben and Noel for not just coming on the show, but then pushing it out to their literally hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. It made a huge difference to Jimmy's jobs when we were just getting off the ground. It's one of our best ever episodes, so I really hope you enjoy it. Ben, Noel, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much for having us. What were your reflections on that day of coming to Downing Street, Ben? Um, to, I'm going to be honest, that that was one of the most, personally, it was one of the most memorable moments of my entire life because it's the sort of thing that you see on the telly a lot. And as a kid, especially growing up in the West Midlands, it's just sort of unfathomable. It's not something that you ever think would happen. Um, and honestly, so the most memorable thing was I was, I was proper nervous for it. And I can't remember what time the meeting was. I think it was like 11 o'clock or something. And I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't late or anything like that. So I stayed over the night before and I walked down from, I think it was like the Hilton in Westminster, somewhere like that. And I walked down to Downing Street and you walk past the Houses of Parliament on the right hand side. And that was like probably what, probably the most memorable walk of my life. And then they sort of open up the big uh, sort of iron gates, don't they? And you walk up and it's weird because one minute it feels like you're in central London. And it's busy and there's cameras and there's people everywhere. And you go through the security hut and it's like, you, it's it's just almost like tranquil. And it was a really weird feeling and walking in through the front door. And um, it was actually really funny because I was quite nervous and there was very serious looking security guys on the entrance as you come through the door. And one guy sort of nodded to me and then he sort of looked away and he looked back at me and he went, Ben, 
Gymshark, and he was basically a Gymshark fan, the security guy on the inside, <laughs> and then we just started chatting away, and then from then it was just, I sort of, I wasn't nervous at all, super excited, uh, you know, I'm a massive fan of, I guess, the UK and its history, so I was just looking around thinking, oh my God, Churchill once walked through this door, he might have sat in that chair, this has been at the centre of, I guess, everything that's been going on in the country for so long. It, yeah, it was one of the most memorable moments and days of my life. And did you feel a sense of, I mean, you say nervousness of meeting the Prime Minister, but mm. From my side of those meetings, you know, you've got some really big, impressive entrepreneurs that mm. are household names in their own right. What was it like interacting with them? Had you seen many of them before? Um, I'd seen a few of them on the telly, but I'd never really spoken to them. I'd never spoken to them. I felt a bit awkward when I was going in because you get like you, before you go into the meeting, there's like a, a big, almost drawing room where people sort of chat amongst each other, and it, I felt I, it was quite obvious that I was the one that didn't really know anyone there. And I was chatting to yourself. I chatted to James Timpson, who was a lovely guy and he gave me some pieces of advice I spoke to Bren everyone was really welcoming to be honest it was just a completely surreal experience there's something that, that someone said to me a long time ago which was try and learn something from everyone that you meet and the second I walked in the door I was like right I just want to learn from as many people as I possibly can here and yeah I definitely took a lot away from it and you um you posted it on your Instagram and there were lots of comments from people saying how you should be Prime Minister and um, Noel this was my first interaction with with you was that you uh, responded on there saying if Ben's going to be Prime Minister I want to be the Minister of Instagram for funny comments <laughs> <laughs> which I did I think know. was quite <laughs> mate this guy's on his research man. this is a great <laughs> podcast oh, yeah. I didn't know I that and so can you tell us a bit I mean Ben has talked about his story in the press a lot and it is incredible can you explain a bit about well A how you guys met but B what the role of a chief brand officer is at such a kind of iconic brand yeah cool uh, first I want to go back to the, the Downing Street thing for a sec that morning he sent me a picture and I said please tell me you haven't worn that same Ben outfit you wear every day and it, like it was though with him he hadn't registered he was like what, what do you mean and I was like have you got dressed up to go to Downing Street and he's like no, why? And it was like, for me, I'd be, you know, I'd be at the tailors beforehand. I'd be messaging you saying, what do you wear? All this stuff. The fact that he turned up with his socks tucked, still tucked into his trousers blew me away. And I went to my nan's house that day. And when I arrived, she was on the phone to her friend and she was going, yeah, and you're still wearing that same outfit, you know? <laughs> but I, was, I just thought, you know, this is why Ben maybe held the job of chief brand officer at one point because he got Gymshark across his chest. Yeah, and man. so he was able I to get those. I paid him to wear that. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We met because I'd uh, started a creative agency, someone that worked for Gymshark in the very early days. My first experience with Gymshark was, you know, you're here today wandering around this big, beautiful building and fancy podcast studio and all that kind of stuff. The first time I went up and met the guys when one of their uh, staff members reached out to me, Gymshark headquarters was a porter cabin in a car park of the warehouse where they kept the where we kept the stock. So that was where I first met the guys and then yeah, did a little bit of work for them like consultancy basis, whatever else for a couple of years. And then um yeah, got to the point where Ben said you should bring in what you do in house and, and do it here. And when I st- and uh, it, there was there was no there was no chief brand officer job job role at the time. There was um I came on as creative director uh, with three members of staff and then I absorbed another team which was the brand department and then we, we went from like a director type UK type structure didn't we to like mm. an American one with the C-suite titles and that mm. kind of stuff and Ben became chief brand officer so then I built the brand team up over time which is doing social media it's doing influencers it's PR it's creative it's now you know some digital product stuff and then and customer service and events and stuff like that um, and then it, 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 it got to a day where I thought to myself I think I'm better than Ben at his own job now I think I should be the chief brand officer so I sat down with him and I said it was really funny meeting i was crapping myself and i said to him um i was like you know if you and me i said you know if the chief brand officer job was up for like a, a job ad and he was like yeah and i said and we both turned up with our cvs 
And he went, yeah. I said, who do you think could get it? And he sort of he sort of stared at me, knowing exactly what I was up to, and sort of smiled and went, probably you. And I was like, yeah, I think so as well. And he was like, all right, leave it with me. And then like a week later, he went, okay, you can have, yeah, you can have my job. So I became a chief brand officer. And then you- I was made redundant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in between things after that yeah, for a while, weren't you? He was in between jobs for a while after that. But yeah, no, so yeah, today it's it's exciting the consumers. It's growing the brand in the right way. I think that's something that we've been, something we've been really good at is getting our brand in front of people, but for the right reasons. You know, we were just talking about the fact that in the last year in the UK, Gymshark's become so much more salient because I think we operated under the radar for a long time, which is probably why that day at Downing Street, not many people knew who Ben w- was, right? When, when you think back to when we were traveling, doing events, we were sort of stopped in gyms and talked to more in Los Angeles than we would be in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. We'd go to LA and you couldn't train probably. People go, oh, I love what you guys are doing because again, we're on the internet. Whereas we come back to some grotty gym in Birmingham and nobody knew who any of us were or what we were up to or whatever. So we operated under the radar. But yeah, lately in the UK, obviously we've gone on to huge brand awareness, top of mind sort of relevancy when you ask about fitness brands but the important thing is that we've done it in the right way it's not because we've it's not because we've put billboards all up and down the M40 or you know yeah. we've, we've sponsored Man United or anything like that it's because of how, how we're you know contributing to the economy in the UK after the GA deal it's because of the fundraising that we did for the NHS during Covid right it's the fact that we didn't furlough one member of staff even though you know the government were bending over to help people with that we thought well we can't be doing as well as we are and then and then you know using taxpayers money to, to, to keep people on so we didn't furlough a single member of staff um you know, contributions to Daniel Bramall, the, the the Team GB long jumper who was his funding was cut and all that kind mm. of stuff. So grow the brand, but grow it in the right way and get in front of people with our sort of, you know, our values on display for the world to see. I'd say it's probably the, the, the abridged version of, you know, what my job is. And in terms of when it comes to jobs of the future, you set out that vision of competing with Adidas and Nike. And it's been so interesting through the pandemic kind of observing the e-commerce market in the mm. sense of they are now trying to do what you guys set out <clears> to do 10 years ago in terms of the direct-to-consumer play. So for listeners, that's the only place that you can buy Gymshark stuff is through the Gymshark website, as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. Yep. Now, all these Nike and Adidas are multi-channel methods. I was reading yesterday that Nike have 6,000 stores in China alone, mm-hmm. and they are trying to bring that all back because it's so much more of an efficient way and you get hold of so much more data as well, which is which is valuable. What is your vision for the next five years? You know, when you look at the careers that you, on your careers page on Gymshark, there's lots of very different roles there. You know, you're hiring for a chief data scientist and so mm-hmm. on. Where do you see the future of fitness going in that regard? So I just want to start off by saying as well, like we don't compare ourselves to those larger brands. I think from the outset, they can look similar, but there's there's a few key differences. One, the brands you just mentioned are sports brands. We're all around fitness and conditioning. And there's a, there's a huge distinction there because you're talking about getting someone to play football on the pitch versus whether it's weightlifting, powerlifting, running, you know, sort of more gym focused activities and conditioning focused activities. And then if you look under the hood of those businesses, like a Gymshark versus one of those guys, we're built in a completely different way. And again, from the outside looking in, it, it can seem similar, similar, but anyone that walks around our office or looks at the way that we're built and work, it's fundamentally different. So, I'm, I mean, we've got long-term visions um, and we've sort of stuck a, a yardstick in the ground as to where we think that's going to go. I won't tell you the long, long-term vision, but in the next few years, we... And we made this decision, by the way, a fair few years ago, and we all sat sat, round, sat down around a table and we said the future of brands in general, not just in fitness, will be community-focused, direct-to-consumer, agile brands. 
And that was really powerful because we thought really carefully about that and we thought about all the reasons why we think that's going to be true. And then we said, right, we're now going to direct all of our energy to becoming one of those brands. Again, fortunately, we were built sort of from the outset in that way. Now, what that does is when opportunities come along, so large retailers come in and they ask to buy a load of stock, which could comfortably double revenue very quickly. And we could have grown a lot more quickly than what we have. We look at that and we go, does this speak back to agile, direct-to-consumer, community-focused brand? And stocking our product in a large chain of stores doesn't speak back to that. So obviously we say no. So that's that's the fundamental basis that we see from a brand perspective. And to your point, some of the larger brands are now doing a little bit of a U-turn to try and build themselves in a way that's more like that. Now, we think that's really powerful. We're built like that now, but we're also looking at the longer term future and being also thoughtful about the fact that our business model is brilliant now and it works but equally, I think you'll look back in 10 years and you'll say that wasn't quite finished. There's still a lot a lot of development to do and that's what we're currently thinking about. So yeah, we think the future of brands will be those three things. And again, if you look at the the youth of today, sort of my generation and, and younger, they really want to be a part of a community. They want to be a part of something that's larger than themselves and they want to be a part of something that speaks to their core values. And I really think Gymshark does that. When it comes to the changing face of retail and so on, you do on occasions do pop-up stores and so on which mm-hmm. are incredibly successful and drive a huge amount of demand is that how you see the sort of future of the high street um i mean we've got we've got thoughts on the future of offline and we're definitely going to be adapting and evolving our strategy around that you know I've, I've spoken publicly about some of my favorite shops in the past i think apple clearly do a great job i'm a massive fan of there's a place in um in london called the bike shed which is anyone that's into motorcycles will know all about it and it's an amazing community hub i think it's going more that way like it, listen if you want to buy a product especially in this country given the uh, the infrastructure we've got it's so much easier just to pop online and buy it like so many places do same day next day delivery so i think it's going to be a lot more experiential rather than than what it is now you talk about community being one of the key aspects of what you are mm-hmm. you know, what your brand focuses on you know, you started this in your teenage years early 20s mm-hmm. and it was targeted at that market and mm-hmm. No, now these people are getting older as like as it goes through and how is that community changing do you think and their priorities for it and how has that been impacted by the pandemic as well i think the community sort of slowly grow we're sort of growing older with our community um the way we don't really think like sort of you know say 18 to 24 and then once you become 25 you drop out of our sort of you know target Mm. age for community we we sort of invented this term we call the social native right you've heard you've heard people refer to the digital native before which is that mark prinsky thing but that's a little bit too old for us that's like 1918 grew up with computers the generation that we sort of started with grew up with social media so it's not that once they get a mortgage and a roof rack on their volvo and two kids they go right you're not in anymore do you know what i mean that was the generation we start with and we'll grow older with them so right now the guys that are dancing on tiktok at some point they'll be 50 years old but jim sharp will still be the trusted brand they knew from when they were younger and they'll still trust it at that age and we'll grow older with them so our our sort of target market and our community we're slowly getting older with them but we're always onboarding you know younger generations through the bottom as well with the with the second biggest fitness brand on tiktok right like the report came out the other week to say that no surprise nike's number one with 9.3 billion tagged posts on tiktok and gymshark's number two with three billion now after behind us you've got adidas reebok peloton lululemon right some of these huge fitness brands but with that younger generation because let's face it that's what tiktok is made up of mm. gymshark was number two on that list as one of the most relevant brands so we're like I said, growing older with them, but also constantly onboarding the younger generations into the sort of the bottom of the community as well. So, question to both of you in terms of when it comes to jobs, what have you hired for recently that you know even a couple of years ago might have seen 
a stretch because <clears throat> social media manager is one of the great examples I give 10 years ago was not even a, a thing. I remember setting up corporates I first worked at out of university I remember setting up their Twitter and things and that would never be now left to just like mm-hmm. the sort of mm-hmm. like the guy who just moved on from intern so what yeah what roles have you hired for recently or are going to be hiring for in the next couple of years do you think um, that you wouldn't have envisaged a couple of years ago I've got a team called Social Disruption right and like you just said the community's getting older so are we right so the reason Ben got off to such a great start at the start of the business was because he was the target consumer so he was just Mm -hmm. essentially scratching your own itch right and you know where he spent where he spent his time he just that's where he focused his marketing because he knew that that's where 19 year olds were hanging out problem is now us two are sitting here at the dusty age of 30 and 29 or whatever it is right? and it's like we don't get some of the stuff that's going on on TikTok these days because we're not spending our time there so the social disruption I'm so team, glad you say that, that <laughs> the social disruption team <laughs> the social disruption team like their job is to be the target demographic right and understand them and what turns them on and whatever else we got a proposal, me and Ben did like this week for a, for a brand collaboration that I think we would have never dreamed of, right? Mm-hmm. And to us, we look at it and go, what? No. But then they go, hang on, let me show you what's going on on TikTok right now. Show us some trends on there. And we're like, oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's, there's potential to do something a bit wacky, but they, that keeps us on the sort of cutting edge of marketing, as it were. I think I saw someone recently saying that. While most companies are, uh, are going to um, Oxford and Cambridge to hire, Jim Shark are going to Twitter, and I love that because mm-hmm. it's so true. Um, so yeah, that's it. That, that, those are, those are unique job roles for sure. When it comes to that, obviously a lot of it is based on uh, the kind of influencer model. That's how big part of how Jim Shark really started on the rocket ship that it is. There is sometimes when it comes to government and perhaps the elite media establishments and so on, a bit dismissive of when we see a third of people want to be influencers. When I read it, I think that's such a catch-all term and you were talking we were talking previously beforehand about how you have people that manage your influencers and it's like with every job that is created like that or influencer there can often be a team around them and just explain to us a bit more about what is the the support that you give influencers and so on talk us through that model a bit both of you this is, it's sort of stolen from the music industry. The way you have A&Rs in music and they have a really tight relationship with their talent. We do a similar thing here. And I haven't met, unless you have, I haven't met one of the brand that does it that way yet. No, not yet. You tend to, <clears throat> you tend to run into people and they say, oh, I'm the influencer marketing manager from such and such. And you go, oh, brilliant. And they're a department of one and they work with 150 influencers, right? There's no way they can have a really tight relationship there. So while the model is sort of stolen from the music industry or borrowed, I think basically what we're doing is trying to emulate what Ben and the guys did in the early years at scale. Because in the early days... They, it was just a bunch of mates, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, they were influencers before that term was around, but it was Ben and sort of four of the guys hanging out at an event, eating together, lifting together, doing all that kind of stuff. Now, at the scale we are now, obviously we can't keep doing that, but what you can do is try and replicate that model, and now you have, say, one athlete manager to five to eight athletes who can hang out with them, eat with them, train with them, all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's interesting. You can, you can range from jobs at Gymshark from people who spend – all day, every day, locked in Excel, running reports, right? And they're brilliant at doing that. And they're some of the smartest people I've ever met. And that's what hard work looks like to them versus an athlete manager who is flight to LA. I've got to be in the gym at six training with this person. I've got to eat with them there. We've got to go to a photo shoot. So the, the jobs are disparate, right? Compared to what they do, what you, there's an external perception that to work at Gymshark, you have to go to the gym and you have to be this certain type of person. Yeah, there is jobs for those kind of people, but there's also jobs for data scientists, right? And like uh, product R&D innovation people and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's a huge range. But yeah, the influencer one is definitely an interesting one just because we've never really met any other brands that do it in the same way that we do. But you're right. It's like when, when you meet an influencer now or an athlete or whatever, content creator, whatever you want to call them, generally they've got 
a videographer with them, right? Or a content person or their assistant or like you say, there's athlete managers here. So yeah, for one, for one influencer, you're probably creating another five jobs to sort of prop that, that it's, it's a media outlet on its own, you know, a media platform on its own. So you're probably creating a whole bunch of other jobs around that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think the government being uninspired by 30% of kids wanting to be influencers is quite short sighted, to be honest. Mm. And on when it comes to products, R&D and development, Ben, where do you see the future of fitness being? Because it does feel like it's kind of going through this sort of revolutionary moment. We've all been doing, yeah, we've all had time to reflect in the last year in terms of our fitness and so on. What Mm. are the exciting developments that you can tell us about, at least, in terms of what we're seeing in that space um oh i need to think about that um i mean like i said similar to the strategy i mentioned earlier we've got like a long-term product roadmap and i think i'd like to think we're we're pretty clear on on where we think it's going like i said ultimately from from a apparel and accessories point of view specifically i think people will continue to want product that's more tailored for them and i think you'll see more and more of that you'll already see gymshark doing a lot a lot more fits a lot more inclusive in terms of its sizing as well um, so I think that's really important. People want to understand where the product has come from more than ever um, and a lot more about its sustainability. Um, and I also think people want, I, I guess, a broader connection with the brand and the community that they're working with. So, for example, with Gymshark, like, yes, I wear all the apparel and accessories, but also when I go and deadlift on a Thursday night, I'm using the Gymshark conditioning app. If I want to lurk, l- learn about workouts, I'm talking to the Gymshark athletes and learning from them. It's a lot more of a sort of 360 relationship, 360 product relationship than I think maybe you'd imagine from a more conventional retailer and that's it I, you know you have your daily newsletter as well which mm-hmm. talks about a lot of a lot of things and it's something that you see a lot of people wearing in the gym and so on but there is so much more behind it mm-hmm. and look you just talked a bit about there the kind of gymshark app and and so on i mean that is you are becoming so much more than what people would just see as the mm-hmm. kind of like t-shirts and shorts right? yeah so just talk us through a few and, more of the things you've well, well that's and that's important to us so if you were to walk into a conventional retailer, they would talk about the customers and the spend and how often they visit the website or walk into the store. Whereas at Gymshark, we want to have as much of an understanding about the people that maybe use the conditioning app, don't spend a penny on Gymshark and follow Steve Cook, who's one of our top athletes, for example. We just want as many people as possible to be involved in the Gymshark community and to be improving themselves, both physically and mentally. And listen, if someone then wants to use the Gymshark apparel and accessories to help support them on their journey, then to us that's a that's a bonus so i think we look at the community in a different way to what most of the brands and retailers will this may be an impossible question to answer but how big would you put the gymshark community at oh no you'll have that you? Uh, if you if you include in the athletes you're looking yeah, at a massive hundreds number. of millions including the athletes we, so we, we talk about it in terms of like degrees of connection mm. so like a zero degree of connection is directly contacting talking with us on a day-to-day basis sort of one degree of connection is you know following us on social media two degrees of connection is one one of our athletes so at one degree of connection in terms of people who follow us on social media it's, it's tens of millions right you're in probably sort of 15 20 million somewhere around that when you go to two degrees of connection where you're talking about the people who follow the gymshark athletes inspiration stuff then you're into hundreds of millions it's staggering when you think of it and to be mm. honest it's not a there's, there's no hard and fast rule on whether you're in or out either it's not like there's a there's not like a blue peter badge that you will wear and nod, nod at each other right it's just a it's just a combined sort of understanding and appreciation of if, if you're doing something to be a better version of yourself tomorrow 
and you and you think Gymshark in any way can help that, whether it's through the T-shirt that you wear, that you sweat in, whether it's the content that you enjoy, whether you use the app to track your your workouts and stuff, you're in. It's just a sort of a commonality like that. So there's no there's no thing like if somebody listens to these things, right? I want in. Where do I go? Where do I sign up? And where do I get my entry pack? It doesn't really work like that, right? We just think of our community as like Ben said earlier. We think in the future people want to know more about brands. I think when when they Gen Z spend in 2021, they don't just buy the product. They, they vote with their pounds. I mean, and they want to know everything about it. The fact that Ben goes on his YouTube channel and shows everything we do, shows the shareholding at the company, right? How many companies have you spent with in the past week where you could, you could know who all the shareholders are, look them up online? I mean, see where they, what they're doing on the weekend on their Instagram page, any of that. Normally boards and shareholders and all that stuff are hidden behind some misty, you know, PR statements and whatever else. Mm. Whereas like he's like jarringly transparent with the way he, he does things personally, right? Which then plays out at the company as well. But like you said, you, you could literally, before you decide, are these guys a good company? You could look into every single human behind the business because we're all extremely visible. Do you know what I mean? And have a look at our personal ethics and see if it's something you align yourself with. If you do, then make your purchase and you're in. But I think that's important to Gen Z at the minute. And we're doing as much as we can to just try and give them more and more info every single day. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that recently with your, you've really slimmed down in terms of the packages that you deliver and so on. Right mm-hmm. now, it's, a, it's almost like, yeah, I got a load of stuff delivered the other day and it's like, it's tiny it's, mm-hmm. uh, what it comes in now. Where do you think that... Gen Z is is heading in that because that is it's a challenge in terms of I think of this now like as a new parent right in terms of purchasing decisions and so on end up congratulations being, by the way. <laughs> thank you but it's like it ends up being so you know you end up making decisions based on speed and agility mm-hmm. and so on much more do you think that will change or are we seeing a proper kind of shift change in attitudes towards consumerism um i mean things are getting quicker aren't they i mean a few a few years ago for something to arrive in the uk in two or three days wasn't the end of the world now i feel like if it's not next day then people aren't happy at all but i don't think there's a battle between sort of sustainability and speed i think i still think you can do speed sustainably but you're right the gen z are so much more conscious about the impact that everything has on the environment in the environment and from a societal perspective as are we so i think that's really important for brands to consider going forward and when it comes to i just want to touch on i know we said we talk about the future but one point that i think is interesting that hasn't been brought out much um about your your story is how much of the company that you've been able to hold on to and Mm -hmm. you referenced it earlier in terms of you know you've had offers from channel places which would allow you to kind of double revenues Mm -hmm. and you've stayed tight agile flexible with it you must have had so many offers for investment at some point Mm -hmm. and there is definitely yeah we're going through this entrepreneurial revolution in the uk we're doing really well at it but there is this element of lionizing the sort of venture backs businesses and so on it becomes a shortcut for people to say that they're on their way and say, you know, we've raised X amount from so on at such and such valuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd never done that. And I think that is part of the reason why perhaps you hadn't come across radars and so on as much as yeah. well being based in, in Birmingham. And just your reflections on that, I would love to to hear and your advice for younger entrepreneurs because you funded this all throughout your yourself and and the money and the cash revenues that you'd made yeah and that isn't something that's talked about enough and i would just love for your reflections on that yeah i mean oh everything that you see today is the snowball effect of the three pound 90 i earned at pizza hut when i was 18 um and i think jim shark is almost like a bit of a super unicorn in that that respect because you're right we've gotten two unicorn status without any borrowing or funding or anything like that that's because that's half luck and half skill so it's hard it's luck because we sell products that are higher margin and you know the stars aligned in terms of 
so many more people being into fitness nowadays, people being more comfortable buying from online, uh, direct-to-consumer online brands. All of the stars had to align for that to happen. But equally, we have been really careful and we've built a really solid business and and brand for that matter. And it's because we look at everything through the lens of we want to build a 100, 200, 300 year brand. Like I'm so inspired by some of the really old school British businesses and like, you know, there's brands like Burberry or even more locally sort of Jaguar Land Rover and, and companies like that to us are so inspiring. So we're really... Cadbury's as well. Cadbury, exactly. Yeah, down the road. So those old school brands that have lasted across generations are are the inspiration for us. So I think we're sort of cautious with the decisions that we make um, when it comes to things like that. Yeah, you're going to run this company or be the majority um, shareholder in it Mm -hmm. for 30, 40 plus years. I mean, it's quite remarkable to to think of that because a lot of those companies you have mentioned have gone through change of ownerships at various points. And I I know that you're not going to do just the way that you speak about it and so on. And it's clear that you want it to become part of the of the fabric of the not just the local community but a global community as well and what i mean cadbury as well what it did for the local area is incredible right yeah what are your sort of plans for that i mean you you i've spent the morning at the site here and it's amazing like how quickly you're growing and expanding Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts in terms of being that kind of yeah we talk about ESG a lot mm-hmm. and I often think there's sort of a, a C missing from that phrase mm-hmm. um, which is so important to hear you guys talk about what are your thoughts and plans for it I mean listen we want to bring as much as we can not only to the West Midlands but to the UK as well so when you when we're smaller we were sort of like it was super cool the fact that we would be able to hire people you know that would move maybe from London or Manchester and come here now we're hiring so many international people and I think that's really great I think it helps the economy I think it helps the local area I mean, it's not purely down to us, but this um, industrial estate, Blythe Valley, that we sit on now, I mean, it pretty much didn't exist five, ten years ago. The construction and development has been amazing. Um, I mean, anyone that goes into places like central Birmingham now, it's a completely different place, and that's really cool to be at the to be at the heart of. So yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's super important to us. We're developing people in the area. I also think it was it was really cool because, as we were growing, it was fascinating just how many super smart people there are in this area. There's always been a bit of a brain drain from the West Midlands where people would sort of always get sucked into London. And I'm really proud of the fact that now we're giving people the opportunity to have an, an amazing workspace, you know, in the West Midlands. I went to the University of Birmingham, as you know, graduated mm-hmm. 2009. And it has always been a reflection of mine being in the second city that mm-hmm. no one really made the case to me to kind of stay. stay. Yeah. Which I think is a real shame. And it was always something that I was going to go to London. Now, look, that's partly because I was in politics and that was inevitably where some of the um, the action was at. And it is, I mean, again, it's different now with some of the West Midlands combined authority mayorship and so on. What work do you do in terms of, you know, connecting with other people in the area? Because now you are, you know, not only are you an icon for other for the whole of British entrepreneurs, but that local ecosystem as well is so important. What work do you do, you do in terms of trying to support other Birmingham entrepreneurs? So, I mean, we do, I mean, I did a video not long ago, actually, and it was it was more sort of UK focused, but it's around supporting entrepreneurs. So, you know, if you've got any ideas, get in touch. We open 
pre-COVID, we had sort of, what's it called? The local incubator. Uh, yeah, incubator. So we had, again, we do talk to a lot of local businesses, lots, lots of young entrepreneurs. Funding office space and stuff for people in Birmingham who we thought were, you know, had potential good business ideas up in Aston. We'd pay for their office for about a year or something like yeah, that. Depending and, help, on- and help support their ideas. Yeah. Um, open, opening up this place as well. So a lot of local schools will come in. And again, that's a thing. So growing up around here, London was always like, the area where almost things happened whereas it's so cool to be able to bring local kids here and see that you can create something special and unique locally as well i mean we support the local nhs we've got an incredible relationship with the birmingham uh, birmingham women's and children's hospitals as well and that's really important to us yeah i mean we we do everything we can not only to support the local sort of birmingham west midlands areas but as well the uk it's, this is quite small but during during lockdown there was there was staff who literally couldn't do their job for one reason or another because of lockdown, right? Now, like like I mentioned earlier, some businesses were furloughing and stuff like that if they physically couldn't do their job. But it didn't seem right to us that we'd furlough anybody because, you know, our numbers were still good. So we had those guys working for... So obviously, we were still paying their salary and whatever else, but we had them working for Birmingham Women and Children's Hospital, delivering prescriptions around the UK. We had some people going there in the morning, driving to Kent to drop off some paracetamol or whatever it was, yeah. and then bringing it back. So wherever we can... Albeit it's sort of it's small in places. We do try and do as much as we can for the local area. You're a, you're a, like personally a patron for those guys now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a patron at Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospital, which is amazing. It was something that was to be honest, I wasn't expecting it at all. And then they asked me probably about four to six weeks ago. So and having so my mum worked in the NHS. Mm-hmm you know my entire life so to be able to give that little bit back to the local birmingham hospitals has been really important to me as well stuff like that i feel like if you're part of the the business elite like you mentioned earlier and you move in those circles and you create a big business it's almost like no surprise but when a lot of the people here have come from working class backgrounds if it wasn't for what birmingham offers you know the welfare state the nhs free education all that kind of stuff none of us would be sitting here today do you know what i mean like ben personally Mm -hmm. so it's not like it was not like it was this crazy privileged upbringing which has, has led on to all this stuff so it only kind of feels right now that we do as much as possible to try and give back to the same you know i mean services that sort of helped us get to where we are and how much do you think you know class and things plays a role in in kind of what drives you i was talking to don mcgregor who we've had on the podcast the other day and he was talking about being from working class means that you know in some ways you've got less to lose and all to prove Mm -hmm. and it just that stuck with me you know a, a great deal in in that regard and you know it is something as british people we probably talk about and reflect on too much but it would be yeah, do you think that's kind of spurred you on? Um, possibly, to be honest. I, I've never really thought too much into it. The, I'll never forget the first time where Gymshark started to do well and I started to speak to people that were in maybe more of an upper class. I started to realise, oh, wow, these guys have significantly better financial education than anyone I've ever met. And I didn't know if that was a schooling thing or a family thing. But to be honest, it's it's not something I think about regularly. I mean my role models growing up were my parents and my grandparents and they were all incredibly hard working like my mum worked in the nhs and she would go and do nights and then come home and drop us off at school sleep in the day and all that sort of stuff so it's not something that i think about too regularly but i think on reflection having grown up around such a, an amazing group of hard working people it's definitely had a big impact on on me as i think pretty much everyone that's from around here i think it, looking at you from the outside i think it impacts you subconsciously more than consciously yeah i think that's why he's never started go- going down to london and hanging out with the the business elite or the the known entrepreneurs that you would think of like you said he walked in that day and didn't really know anyone it's because i don't think you've ever aspired to i think yeah. you're comfortable around working class people yeah so you naturally sort of gravitate towards that but equally i think that's what's kept 
us and Ben personally with the blinkers on in our lane coming back to Birmingham and just working hard because the second you start hanging out and it's all networking events and you're doing that all the time you're doing that stuff you're not concentrating on the mission almost you know mm. Mm. Um, so I think that's what's kept us quite sort of uh, uh, blinkered if you like in, in, in relentless on the mission yeah but, I remember as well, this is super minor, well, not super minor, but it, it didn't directly affect us because my parents didn't work there. But when we were kids, not far up the road from us in Longbridge is where sort of Rover MG were. And then when that whole business went bankrupt, there was like so many people that you knew that lost their jobs. And I remember seeing the impact that that had sort of locally. And even now, like you can drive past where the old factories were and they still haven't filled it in. It's still like you drive and you just see like emptiness they've started to put things on which is great to see i remember that having a massive impact as well and and things like that it really makes you want to do more for the local area and you know try and give back because again like there's people on the road that lost their jobs and having to see that definitely impacts you in a way when talking to people about gymshark over the last few weeks it's been interesting just how many people associate you now with that brand that is a big responsibility becoming a business personality similar to branson peter jones and lord sugar you've obviously had a taste of it doing those pm councils and so on but it's a very important role how do you feel about that yeah um so i reluctantly got into it so i didn't i everything i took videos pictures everything of the gym chart story as we went along and i didn't ever put it out there until we did a world tour a few years ago and there was a lad in dublin who was doing a uh, like a university um essay on gymshark and he just said hey i would love it if i've been trying to find out about the company and i would just love it if you could record a video that basically talked about the gymshark story how did it start what was the deal how did you get to where you were and people had asked me in the past to do this and for whatever reason i, I sort of listened to this guy and i said yep yeah, i'll tell you what i'll do the video and we flew home about a month later recorded the video I had to record two or three of them because I just was so terrible on camera and just recorded the video of this is how I started Gymshark. And the ambition was I'm going to do this one video and I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to sat satisfy this lad that's doing his, his, um, his uni university course and I'll leave it there. And the reaction was so overwhelmingly positive. I think that's on multi-million views now. I just ended up sticking with it and carrying on carrying on and doing it so i sort of reluctantly got in, into it if i'm honest and then even now i must admit outside of the sort of day-to-day -day of gymshark it is one of the most cool and exciting things i get to do because i get to meet so many cool people um there are people that ha have businesses that i'll jump on calls with here and there and i'll help support them um and i just find it really enjoyable if i'm honest because it's nice for me to offer to other people what i didn't have um and i didn't have it because there wasn't that many local businesses in the sort of area we grew up that we're doing anything similar and because we were you know in many ways we were pioneering and there's so many things that i wish i'd have done in the early days sooner that would actually have allowed gymshark to grow even more quickly so if i can have like a half an hour call with someone here and there and help them not make a mistake then i think that's that's really powerful and that's important to me I know it's actually something that you, you know, despite building off a lot of social media and so on, it is something that you've only kind of taken to actually in the kind of last mm. five or six years, which I think surprises, you know, some people when they find out about that because it's so synonymous now with the brand they mm -hmm. associate with you. And I was also interested in terms of this, like the way that you, you've both changed because as Noel indicated earlier, I've been going through all your old kind of socials this week and so on. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and your own kind of fitness journeys as well, because you, know, you started off kind of in the powerlifting 
side of things mm-hmm. and you're both really big guys and you've kind of like slimmed down on that a lot now and I just think it's interesting because I think it's really important to talk about this and I think it's been interesting the, the Prime Minister kind of in the last year has been saying look you know I've been overweight and so on and actually kind of to a certain degree men talking about this stuff is not something that we've seen much of before mm-hmm. and so it's interesting that and I also um, heard that you've been doing a bit more running in lockdown than you've mm-hmm. ever done before and so just the way that that fitness is evolving in that journey and what your thoughts are on on the way that fitness is going but also your own journeys with it i mean personally as a as a teenager all i wanted to do was bodybuilding so i was just weights 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 and to be fair i'll still do that you know four or five times a week that that is my sort of core passion i do think i don't know if this is a covid thing or me getting an older thing but i do now really value having like a good cardiovascular system and sort of got into running if I'm honest just because there wasn't too much else to do during lockdown yeah. um that's a you get older thing yeah. for sure I think I, but I think more people are doing it and mm. I think and to be fair I think that's why things like crossfit are doing so mm-hmm. well because people want to be like fit and healthy in like uh, yeah exactly that functionally fit so i think that is a, a bit of a trend but the other thing is there's so many different facets of fitness now before it was just you're a gym guy whereas now are you a bodybuilder a powerlifter a crossfitter mm. a runner you know all these different things and i think that's emerging in the fitness world now a lot more it's becoming part of people's identity as well kind mm. of explaining that and um, you know we all have multifaceted identities as well and it's just you know interesting depending on the different community that you're you're speaking to about that um what are your reflections on that now I mean, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm a bit, bit, I felt Ben glance at the side of my head when you, when you went, you know, you both really big guys, and I thought, am I? But anyway, no, I, I, I was. There was a point. You may have seen this picture or not. There's a picture of me and Ricky Hatton somewhere at an event, and Ricky Hatton famously, in between fights, got out of shape. And in the photo, I'm in the worst shape out of the two of us, <laughs> which is interesting. So I was a big guy like that, but then yeah, I think I got I got healthier through like combat stuff. I never really. I'm like a. I bite my nails like crazy, right? Because I'm like a constant. I can't. A doctor called me high functional, hyperactive, or something like that. I have to be doing something constantly so even sitting here not looking at my phone is killing me um so <laughs> ben was into bodybuilding i could never get into it because i'd lie on a bench push weights up and down and think is this it i'm so bored and it was only one of my friends took me to an amateur boxing club and if i didn't concentrate i got punched in the face i thought oh this is quite good for me and i got into mma and jiu-jitsu and stuff like that and then i found that especially in jiu-jitsu um which is like for those who don't know the stuff that you see them doing in the ufc when they're on the ground choking each other out and whatever that's it the great thing about that is i have like i've I figured out early on I had a problem with ego like I had like it, it would like hold me back in places mm. Jiu Jitsu is so great because you get you touch hands on the mats with this guy you've never met before and he's 60 kilograms and he's 17 years old and he mangles you within an inch of your life and makes you tap out and you, and the like if this wasn't a a controlled sport essentially that's you being able to kill me you could have chomped yeah. within an inch of my life there and I have to tap and that tap is signifying like you could have killed me then if you wanted to so getting handled by these like really small guys and whatever else all the time instills I think these values of like this like white belt mentality in other words there's always something to be learnt do you know what I mean so even yeah. And I think it then, I think there's Joe Rogan talks about this a lot. I think there's um, the way that plays out then in businesses. Just because you've got a fancy job title and you, you know, you, you might have a car parking space at the front or a corner office. We have none of those things, by the way, but some people do. Um, doesn't mean that you can't learn from the 19 year old intern. Do you know what I mean? And I think some of the most valuable things we've done at this mm. business in the past two years have been thanks to young people who, you know, in a traditional business, their voice isn't heard. Whereas here, that sort of white belt mentality plays out. It's like, no, you can learn from absolutely everyone. Do you know what I mean? So I think fitness is kind of, I think that's the way it's sort of taken shape for me. But yeah, fitness for me is either on or off. Ben, I'll tell you this. I'm either <laughs> cutting, dieting hard and I've got abs and I'm running every night and all that kind of stuff. Or I'm massively off the wagon <laughs> and you'll catch me in Tesco with four bags of Haribo just trying to sneak. 
geek out. So yeah, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near as consistent as Ben is. I did notice there was a good snack selection in the uh, refuel canteen. Yes, Just so coming into the final bits of it, the what would your message be to the the government in this whole kind of building back better side of things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is it that we can do? Because we are at this proper post generational uh, moment with the with the UK and the globe, frankly. So what would your advice be to the Prime Minister and Chancellor? Ooh. Well, you, that's a, one hell of a way to put us on the spot. That's a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I haven't got a clue. I'm not well educated enough to comment. Oh, that is bollocks. Politician's answer. Okay, I'll tell you what. Politician's question and a politician's <laughs> answer. The, uh, what I would say from a gut instinct point of view is, and I need to do the research, but invest in what's for tomorrow. So at the moment, you're seeing sort of the data fields absolutely flying, digitization of some of the old clunky businesses. We know for a fact that 5G and internet and online is, is going to power tomorrow. So I think we need to invest in all of those things. I would also invest more education around, well, financial education for youngsters. I think I mentioned earlier, as as Gymshark started to grow, that was something that I was shocked by because I just didn't know it was a thing. And ultimately, you want to encourage as many people to start businesses as possible. Now, I don't necessarily think you need to do that with money i don't think you throw money at the problems i think if you throw money at something you'll just get more of what you've already got but i think there needs to be a step change in terms of allowing people to fail and just supporting people on their ideas cultural shift in that yeah i think a cultural shift and there's just little things right so having spent a lot of time in the states it's like they're so much more optimistic about sort of like maybe starting a business than than people are here it's it feels a little bit like here sometimes people will talk about the reasons why not rather than why you should and i do think that I think that needs to change. I mean, I speak a lot about it, right? Gymshark was the seventh website that I'd made and the previous six failed miserably. Um, but you took something from each of those failures which allowed exactly. you to kind of make I think some... Pe- but people need to know about that and people need to talk about that and that's something I'm going to make sure that we talk a lot more about is our failures. Um, so yeah, it would be about supporting and trying investing in tomorrow. Someone told me something. I don't know if I was chatting to you about it a while ago, Jimmy, but someone told me that the Industrial Revolution particularly exploded in the West Midlands because the West Midlands was the place that was best equipped for it. California is the place where the sort of internet revolution has been built and computers and so on, personal computing, because it's Silicon Valley and it's where a lot of the silicon chips were made and it was best equipped for what was to come. So if I was in the government, I'd be doing the research into what's to come and making sure that we are the best equipped for that. Create like fertile ground. Yeah. And where do you think that that is you know, going to be happening over the next 20 years? I mean, like the, the Nike story is interesting, right, in terms mm-hmm. of what Phil Knight did in terms of going to Japan, right? Because that is where the innovation was happening in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be it. I mean, pre-COVID, you were doing 50 flights a year around the world. Mm-hmm. Where's one of the most exciting places you visited? Geographically, where's the, one of the most exciting places? Uh, this is going to be such a, a crap answer, but I still think, I always, me and Noel talk about it a lot, the most inspiring place in the world to me is London. Number one is London, number two is New York. I think they're so cool because it's such a an incredibly diverse and it's just such an impressive place to be and it's got such incredible history and culture but you also feel like you're at the centre of the world when you're in one of those cities so if you said to me right now you need to disappear to anywhere in the world for inspiration and like a glance as to what tomorrow might look like I really do think London will be that place I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a 
a geo like i think mm. it was before you like where would you go next to start your business i wouldn't go to anywhere but the, the place i'd go to would be the internet mm. i think i think that in previous years yeah there was there was these real hard borders between countries and you had to fly places to get things done but i think the internet just melted the borders away do you know what i mean and now if i was if it was a, if i was trying to you know again like ben said make the most let's say it was my kid or my pet project and i'm going to try and make him an entrepreneur it would be spend all your time on the internet hang mm-hmm. out in forums read tweets read instagram comments immerse yourself in the culture of the internet forget the culture of new york or london mm-hmm. or whatever else hang out on the internet that's why that's why ben's sitting here do, do, doing what he's done it's not because i don't ben didn't start his business in the uk mm-hmm. like that's the that's why he doesn't know anybody at downing street ben mm-hmm. started his business on the internet walk around shopify and ben is a king do you know what i mean yeah yeah walking around Downing Street and it's like, who's this kid who printed some t-shirts and delivered pizza? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that was a joke, but like, you know, but I will come on to information sources almost in a moment, but just quickly on that, we, like we do have a, a section called ducking disasters and you kind of refer to it. We've all made the autocorrect on iPhone and whatever. Can you think of one particularly from the early days or even recent, right? Of mm. where you did something and you've just thought, my God, that went badly wrong. I'm never doing that again. Oh God. I think that happens pretty much every day. Yeah, <laughs> all this morning. Oh, God. Well, There's a podcast with this guy called Jimmy Mack. <laughs> yeah. I, I do remember, so this is going back a, a fair old way now. So we did, this is typical Gymshark fashion, we did, and I think I'm I'm to blame for this, if I'm honest, we did an event and it went really well. Um, it was one of the first events that we did, and I think we did another one and it went incredibly well. And then we were like, okay, if we've done one event really well, let's do 10 of the things. And we spent everything we had on all of these different events around the world and we we did the uk again in birmingham we did germany we did ohio california australia and we'd also booked on to do uh, an, an expo in india as well and we'd completely and utterly just bitten off more than we could chew we couldn't afford it we didn't have the time we didn't just understand how to approach it at, at all and we ended up having to cancel out of that event and that was one where i thought oh god we'd definitely bitten off more than we could chew there in terms of just oversubscribing ourselves to far too many events um and then again in the early days there was a lot of times where we did certainly just i guess take some very very large risks and we were super fortunate that they came off but like you said earlier about the six websites that you started or whatever it was before every one of them informs something else Mm. so like i've got a list of fuck-ups as long as my arm i could tell you but i wouldn't go back and correct them i wouldn't duck them do you know what i mean because they then informed the strategy mm-hmm. going forward and sharpened our tool and got us better at what we do now do you know what i mean and people always say like jim shark always seems to be able to get it right no we don't we get it wrong all the time mm. but we're like gamblers you only find out about the wins do you know what mm, i mean like yeah. we don't tell you about all the times we lost there's there's 10 things we've tried oh jim shark's so great on tiktok yeah how did, how did you do that how have you got this like mystic ball of social media we haven't we tried seven other social media platforms that we thought were going to be the next big thing and none of them worked and we wasted all that time but when one thing does work pays dividends 10 times over and all of a sudden all those 10 things you tried before didn't really matter you know mm. yeah bit so like, don't duck the disasters basically yeah exactly no, well, a bit like uh, you and I meeting on Clubhouse in terms of trying to find the next big thing um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just finally then so you mentioned information sources there I think it's really interesting in a world now where so much more information is thrown at you know when I was at um, school university like The Economist was a gateway to a lot of business and kind of like economics news mm. where now do you get your information from? And also, have you got a book that you like? I know you've both become quite big readers, which isn't something that at the start of the Gymshark journey you, you did necessarily. Is there a book you particularly recommend? Oh, can I admit something? I don't think read. that's true. What? I don't think we're both big readers. I think I've read a small handful of books and I just talk about them all the time. Yeah. But I, but I, think, it's, <laughs> but I think it's really respected in the world if you say, yeah, I'm a big reader and I really like this book. But if we're completely honest, neither of us are yeah, big readers. I, I know we're not. The, when, as soon as you started that sentence, the first three places I thought is YouTube, LinkedIn and Reddit. 
Do you know? And I went to I went to Archbishop of Banterbury. Genuinely, yeah. <laughs> I'm just bait. Like these these like Instagram pages that you know gossip and whatnot. Like that's where I keep up with like cultural events. Hundred mm. percent. That's how I know what's going on with Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury at the moment. It's through these like Instagram meme pages and stuff like that. But I think. Most people on a podcast like this wouldn't admit that and they go, yeah, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, start with why I'm a big proponent of that. Like, we're not 100%. Like, you, you said to me recently that people always reference Shoe Dog to you and you haven't read it all the way yeah. through the first chapter or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's hard for people to admit that. But if, if we're being honest, that's, that's the, yeah, my, uh, that's my, the truth my problem is, is I have to like proper, like, love the book yeah. and then I'll read through it. And there, there's been a handful that have been amazing. But there's, so there's been, let's say, in the last couple of years, five books that I've just thought were absolutely brilliant but there's been about 20 that i've picked up and within three pages i've been like no this is not for me yeah. so i just go back and but I, I i literally every single day first thing in the morning every time i'm eating breakfast driving to work i'm listening to podcasts watching youtube videos and they're almost always sort of educational all right okay so what are the best youtube channels and i don't think it i, I don't think people listening to podcasts like this right because ben just said it there right that he listens to podcast and that's yeah. that's the information flow and i do mm -hmm. you know the whole point of this podcast is trying to kind of disseminate the social capital that i've built up getting to meet people like you and trying to put it out there to mm -hmm. a wider audience and realizing that jobs of the future like are so varied mm -hmm. and you can well that's you know, why i said it as well because i don't want anybody listening anybody any budding 16 year old to think oh i, I have to read the legacy book about the all blacks mm. because there's so many of these like clickbait videos out there saying like CEOs get up at 5am and they read this book every day yeah. and they do an hour worth of mm. running and it's not true like it's, it's just it just sounds good do you know what I mean whereas like the the new Alan Sugar as Ben sort of sits here as like doesn't do that stuff do you know what I mean so if, if you are sitting there thinking well I get most of my stuff from Instagram or from YouTube or from Twitter no problem because there are people who've quote unquote made it who do the exact same thing yeah but to give you a question, because I know you're looking for an actual recommendation, How I Built This by Guy Raz yeah. is unbelievable, like genuinely unbelievable. Like I think he's like what you just said, disseminating that social capital. I think he's doing the exact same thing and being able to hear from the founder, Brian Chesky from Airbnb about how that, what that journey was like. It's crazy. Yeah. That's an insight that like even I get super excited about. Kevin from Instagram, right? The, the story between him and his girlfriend where she was annoyed saying, oh, our friend Bobby, his photos look really good. And he's like, well, he's a photographer. He puts filters and stuff on. She's like, I wish I could put filters on. Instagram. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what a story to be able to get that close to. You feel like you're sitting in a room listening to him. So yeah, how I built this by Guy Raz. And then I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan's podcast. Well. I think he gets some really mm. interesting people on there. It is. I mean, that, that story is the, what changed Airbnb was them getting professional photographers. Mm -hmm. That changed that whole game because they struggled for a long time mm -hmm. as well. And, and the, uh, the cereal, do you know so you hear about the cereal? Yeah, the Ob Obama Rose. <laughs> how good is that? <laughs> and the McKaynos. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I've now Airbnb and what was the other one that we just uh, Instagram Instagram yeah and the filters for Instagram yeah. that that yeah. changed it all is there a moment with Gymshark I think you know you put it down to the expo that you kind of went to that mm. was the sort of moment that you know that, changed everything that was just the culmination of everything we'd done previously so that's where we were like we realised that people other people followed the youtubers because at the time matt had the most followers on youtube and he had about twenty thousand subscribers which in today's numbers mm. is you know it's not a lot really matt was one of the first influencers for us yeah and that it was at that point where we were like oh wow so other people want to speak to these people too other people are interested in the product and there's a load of other people that lift because we you just live in your own little world right we went to the same gym every day um so you don't really see much outside of that and that was the point where we we realized that um, we were onto something special and unique. 
Yeah. Well, look, I cannot wait to see the rest of the, the story. And thank you so much for both giving up time to explain what it is, because I believe that you're building a great global brand here. And it's amazing to kind of share the story and where people can, can benefit from it and hopefully come and work here one day as well. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, you for Jim. having us. Appreciate it. <laughs>